all. To be perfect is our heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. And that, that call is not about, uh, you know, dressing right or uh, having, you know, the right appearance necessarily. That at the heart of that, it began with the call to love your enemies and pray for your enemies. And we lived into a challenge to pray for those that we have a difficult time praying for. And to let ourselves approach God as our Father and recognize that God invites all people to be a part of that hour. All people have an opportunity to say yes to who God is. We, we focused on that. Um, I have thought in the past few weeks about how significant that is, especially in the increasing division that's taking place in our country right now. Um, Tonight, several people are going to watch a uh, debate and watch it with the lens of defense, watch it with the lens of my team should win uh, and conquer this other team, and not so much with the lens of wanting to learn uh, or anything like that. There's a whole lot of division that's taking place, and this call to pray to our Father, recognizing that all people are invited into the hour of our Father, and that we can look beyond the division, the lines of division that society tries to draw for us, that we, as a church, we get to move in a way that's different than that. That's huge. Uh, And that is the beginning of the way that we orient our lives towards God's kingdom and turn ourselves towards God. Today, we're looking at uh, another part in the Lord's Prayer, the part that says, hallowed be thy name. Uh, Becca, I don't know if you have the passage to put up there. Three, two, one. So out of um, Matthew chapter 6, when the disciples are wanting to know how to pray, Jesus offers this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he goes on to speak more about the significance of forgiveness. But today we're going to look at the the idea of approaching God with this phrase, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed can be really confusing. Hallowed. Uh, It's confusing because we don't really use it in our daily talk. Uh, We don't live in 17th century England, Uh, but the truth is Jesus didn't either, and neither did uh, the the narrator, the writer of Matthew's gospel. Jesus didn't actually say the word hallowed. In fact, it's only here in the current NIV and in the NRSV and in our current editions and versions of scripture, it's only there because so many have memorized the Lord's prayer with that word, and it's come to take on such a, significant, uh, such a significant role as a, a significant word in the prayer. But ultimately, it's not like that's more true of a word than really digging in and getting into what the meaning would be. Uh, it's simply the word we know, and it would feel wrong to see another word there. Uh, we sometimes change thy to your and all of that, but to change Hollywood sometimes seems wrong. But... In the New Testament, uh, the biblical term there that's translated is actually used in other parts of Scripture, uh, and it simply means holiness, or to make holy, to set apart. 
Ultimately, the beginning of this prayer, the opening prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, is ultimately saying, Father in heaven, holiness is who you are. Holiness will always be your way of existence. Father in heaven, you are so radically different and set apart from all the nations, from all the options, from all the ideas set before us. May we always view you as holy other. Holiness is who you are. That's ultimately what's at the heart of that. Uh, But we tend to be okay with the word Hollywood because it's what we know. Now, the term Hollywood, like I said, doesn't really show up in our daily talk, but there is a time of the year when we tend to use a word that has a similar connection, uh, Halloween, right? Uh, It's really the only time of the year that we use a term that's at all related. Uh, And as you may know, Halloween, Uh, really is short for All Hallows' Eve, which is the day before All Hallows' Day, uh, which was kind of designated during the 8th century uh, in the life of the church um, as a response to a particular day that was was celebrated of a a non-Christian faith that uh, that was ultimately interacted with. And the church offered an alternative, this All Hallows' Day. And it ultimately meant the day of the holy ones. It was a day to celebrate and remember Christians who died because of their faith. Isn't that interesting? Uh, In the midst of uh, prayer, where we recognize this holiness of God, God is holy other, God is so much of what we're not. In the life of the church, there is still this recognition that in the midst of who God is and how we are not who God is, there is this call for us to live into uh, this holiness. There is a call there. Uh, But around this time, we tend to focus on other things, right? Like costumes. Now, I'm going to tell you, I normally put as little effort as I possibly can into the whole costume thing, whether I'm, you know, handing out candy or if I am going to some sort of, like, Halloween or alternative to Halloween gathering. and people are dressing up. I tend to go as basic as I can. For example, uh, one of my favorite costumes was going as Saeed from Lost. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, Saeed from Lost. Didn't take much effort, you know? You know? If you saw his six pack, no, just kidding, just kidding. That's, that's why I just kept wearing a shirt. Um, no. Um, so I went to Saeed from Lost, because I figured, eh. Won't take much effort. I'll just, uh, you know, whatever. And then this year, I'm thinking about going as Heath from Walking Dead. I don't know if you know who that is, you know? Heath from Walking Dead, you know? Yeah, no? Okay. Um, just, a, just a thought. But as you can tell, I normally don't put much effort into it. Although there was one year, you could get rid of the picture. There was one year when uh, I was like, uh, Jenny and I, we were at uh, Newberry Comics. It's the store in the mall. And um, we were just there, and I randomly saw, well, I saw this. I saw this Thundercats costume, and I was like, that is the coolest thing, and it normally went for 50, and it was selling for 15, because apparently people didn't know what they were doing, and they didn't want to buy it. Um, So I said, oh my goodness, we have to get that, and Jenny says, 
no way. Like, you're never going to use that. You're never going to wear that. And I was like, of course I will. And it's a collector's item, which it's really not. But I was so, I was so pumped about this because, I mean, take a look at it. One, you have the claw, which is really cool. You know, legit, legit. If you don't know what Thundercats is, I apologize for you. Um, you know, you have, you have this thing. I mean, not... You know what I'm saying? You have, the, you have all that going on. Now, this, Jenny didn't want me to wear this in chapel because she said it might be inappropriate, um, which I kind of agree. Um, I tried to get a student to do it, but then I agreed still. So, um, so anyway, so then you have like the six pack going on. You've got, you know, all this power. You got these claws. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, you got the legit belt right here, the Lion-O belt, which I thought was awesome. And then most of all, what you need to really pull this off is the mask. You've got to look like Lion-O if you're really going to pull this off, right? I mean, with this mask, with this mask, it's like you become Lion-O. It's like you get to scream the Thundercats theme song and the Lion-O, if you know it. You get to scream that. Now, this is all about nostalgia. And it was all about, you know, being nostalgic with a few friends. But truth is, I couldn't bring myself to wear it uh, because, well, it's ultimately not me, you know? It's ultimately not me. But I did want to use it because Jenny told me I'd never, ever use it for anything. So I was like, I have to use it in chapel. So there you go. I used it. <laughs> but... I do find it interesting, you know, pretty soon uh, you're going to see people walking around with masks. I believe they're doing the Monroe thing again uh, with the little haunted house thing. You're going to see people with masks on. Um, and I think masks are really interesting. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's really interesting that it's something that we lean into and mess with and think about in the midst of a season when uh, the church is called to really think about holiness. It's interesting that at the heart of the season is a recognition that human beings are called to be holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. You know, sometimes we get confused with this discussion of holiness. And we begin to think of holiness as, well, this set of, of rules that somebody made for us out of nowhere that we somehow have to tack onto our lives and at least make sure people think we're living it out, right? You know, I'm a part of a denomination called Church of the Nazarene, and actually uh, ENC is part of a denomination called Church of the Nazarene, and I'm ordained in the Church of the Nazarene. And I love being part of Church of the Nazarene. Some people... Uh, some people think about certain rules in the Church of the Nazarene. And I figured I'd take a moment to talk about this, since many folks here are like, yeah, I'm at this Nazarene school. What is this about, right? I thought I'd take a moment to talk about this. Church of the Nazarene actually emerged in the early 1900s as part of what was called the holiness movement, right? A group of churches, a group of Christians that said, hey, there are some things about the way we're living that isn't in line with what we seem to be called to live like. And today, sometimes that gets translated into some things that just feel, 
it can feel pointless to folks, right? So for example, uh, not drinking. It can feel pointless, like why? Jesus drank wine, right? Like why? Uh, and he did. He turned water into wine, uh, and that was celebrated. Right? So why would the Church of the Nazarene say we don't drink, right? This holiness movement emerged as this community of people who are committed to the most vulnerable in society. So when they said, we are the church of the Nazarene, what they were ultimately saying is we are the church of the Messiah who comes from Nazareth. And if you know anything about Nazareth in scripture, it's the place that people expected nothing to come from, nothing good to come from. For example, in John chapter one, when Philip is explaining, uh, when Philip is explaining that uh, he finds Jesus and that Jesus is, that the Messiah is here, the response given is, wait, that person's from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? If you can think of an area of Quincy, if you can think of an area of your hometown, if you can think of an area of the United States that people say it's not worth going there, if you can think of an area where people say nothing good comes from that neighborhood, or be, be careful with who comes from that neighborhood, if you can think of a part of society that people are ultimately afraid to identify with, right? That's the Nazareth of our area. That's the Nazareth of your society. And when we say that we, we worship Jesus, the Nazarene, which is in Scripture, it's talking about Jesus, the Messiah who comes from the place where nobody wants to go. Jesus, the Messiah who comes from the place that people expect nothing from. Jesus, the Messiah who flipped the script on everybody's expectations. Right? I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the sermon where the Lord's Prayer is located. It begins this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we find at the beginning of this sermon, where the Lord's Prayer is located, is this call to rethink everything. This call to say, yeah, you thought this mattered in life? Let me tell you, blessed are the poor. You thought this mattered in life? You thought conquering another mattered in life? Let me tell you, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, you thought? Well, let me tell you, Jesus, the Messiah, is from Nazareth. Jesus identifies with those that no one wants to identify with. Kind of reminds me of this poem that I read by uh, Langston Hughes. How many of you have heard of Langston Hughes? Okay, quite a few. Okay, great. Langston Hughes, uh, major poet in American history. Uh, did a lot of interaction with Har Harlem Renaissance poetry. And uh, this is a poem that was written 80 years ago. I want you to think that. Before I tell you the title, I just want you to know, it was written 80 years ago, 1936. And um, 
This poem is called Let America Be America Again. So that sounds familiar. But in the poem, you have two voices, right? You have this voice that's declaring, let America be America again. And then you have this voice over here. If you look it up, you'll see in parentheses, there's another voice. It's in parentheses. It's in italics. It's off to the side. And it's responding to the major voice. And you'll see that, I'll read a part of the poem. In the poem, that voice is recognized as somebody mumbling in the darkness. And here's what it says. So the poem begins, let America be America again. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plane, seeking a home where he himself is free. And then the person off to the side. America was never America to me. The person continues, let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great song, strong land of love, where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme, that any man may be crushed by one above. Person off to the side. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. And so the person wants to know. It says, say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? And the person mumbling in the dark responds and says, I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery's scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog-eat-dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways, of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay of owning everything from one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker, sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, hungry yet today despite the dream, beaten yet today. Oh, pioneers, I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker, bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream. When I think about who Jesus is and how Jesus burst through space-time into the world, into the place where no one wanted to go, into the place where no one wanted to be from, into the identity that no one wanted to identify with, and when I think about the beginning of this sermon where Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer, I can't help but recognize that Jesus identifies with the one mumbling in the dark. That's who our Jesus is. That's what we mean when we say we're called to holiness. We're called to somehow make this move from the things we're so comfortable with to identifying with, to being with, to praying with, to advocating for, to hearing those who are mumbling in the dark. That's a big move. That's ultimately not who we are. We don't, we don't, we don't get up in the morning and, and ask ourselves, how can we do that? I mean, we should, we ought to. It's actually distinctly Christian, but it's not our norm. 
But when we turn to God and we say to God, hallowed be thy name, and then we move to the next statement that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, we, we are not you. You are set apart, but we long for who you are to be made known here. And we long for who you are to change our lives. It's who we're called to be. Now, the fact is, when we go to that prayer, when we say this, when we say, hallowed be your name, ultimately, we're saying, we're not God. We're declaring that. We're created in the image of God. We're called to live into the holiness of God. But when we go before God in a prayer like this, we're saying, we're not God. And you know what we ultimately are doing at that point? We're taking an opportunity to recognize how much we sometimes fake ourselves into thinking we are. How much we often live our lives with these masks, these facades of holiness, these facades that say, I've got it all together. These facades that say, I don't, I don't need anyone else. I'm good. These facades that say, I'm the tough guy. That's what I do. I can't have this conversation. The facades that say, as long as I get A's, I'm, I'm fine. I need nothing else. We wear masks all the time. We wear masks all the time. But when we approach God and declare, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, we're going to take off our mask. Because it's only when we take off our mask and recognize that God is God and we are not God, it's only then that we can begin to lean into the transformation that God calls us towards. It's only then. You can't move from faking it till you make it to actually living into the holiness of God. You have to take off the mask first. And our masks exist on ourselves. Sometimes it exists on our friendships. Sometimes it exists on our dating relationships. Sometimes we know we're in a dating relationship that's not going anywhere, but we do everything we can to put a mask on it so we can trick ourselves, trick others, and at the heart of it all, try to trick God. Right? Sometimes we put masks over our own organizations, over our institutions, and there are times when you have to pull the mask off so you can experience the transformation that God has for you, the transformation God has for us. You know, one of the great things about being at ENC is that it's not only about finishing a major and getting a job. It's not just about what you will do for the rest of your life, but who you will be. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? You can only really answer that in a way that lives into who you're created to be when you're willing to take off the mask. When you're willing to say, Hollywood be your name. Holiness is who you are. And I just want to give you a, just a, a few steps. If you find yourself, if when I say, when I talk about wearing a mask, if you say, I know the mask that I wear, okay? I want, I want you to know that there are ways to take it off. First, you do need to name what that mask is. You need to name what those masks are. You need to make a decision to let it go, even if it's not easy. You have to make that decision to let it go. Something you're holding on to, something you're faking, something you're putting up, a persona you put on so you can make it through the day or the week. You have to make a decision to let it go. 
And then you have to tell somebody you trust. That could be a friend, an accountability group, a mentor, a professor, an RD. You need to tell someone. And then you need to act on it. This Friday, you're going to have an opportunity to take off your mask. Okay? Taking off your mask is a big deal. If you've ever done that, I mean, obviously, not, not just this. Obviously, this is just a silly thing. But, but taking off those masks that we wear so we can present ourselves before God and each other with the readiness to be transformed by the holiness of God, to do that is a big deal. And it's not something I would ever want to say, all right, who wants to do that? Let's do that right now. Because it's something you really have to think about. It's huge. So on Friday, you will have the opportunity to do that in the community prayer chapel. As you leave chapel today, you'll notice these little, uh, little, little masks. This is, I know, kind of quirky. But you'll notice these little sheets of paper. And they're masks. And if you would like, I encourage you to take one. You'll see them on the little side tables as you walk out. Take one. Read what's at the top. And over the next day or two, if you can name, if you find yourself naming, this is the mask I hold on to. This is what I need to let go of so I can experience real transformation. If you know what that is, just write it on here. You don't need to fit it anywhere. You can put it wherever you want. And on Friday, you'll have an opportunity to lay it at the altar. You don't need to put your name on it. No one's going to you know, track you down or anything like that. But sometimes we need tangible things to begin that step forward. Look, you know people, you know each other. You know when there's this attempt to look like we're something we're not. When there's an attempt to hide who we really are as opposed to letting ourselves be known so we can experience who God really calls us to be. And what I'm saying today is when we approach God and say, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, we want to take off our mask. We want to be a part of your holiness. And we recognize that we can't just bring that up out of ourselves. It's something you offer by grace. And it's by grace then that your kingdom, that your holiness would be made known here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're simply going to end with prayer. And I'll send you out, and I encourage you, I encourage you to take one of those little paper masks and just think about it. Make a decision, tell a friend, and come back ready on Friday to lay that down. Let me pray with you. Dear God, you are holy. We try to do everything we can to make ourselves look like we've got it together, we try to do everything we can to make it look like we've stepped into your abilities and your doings. But God, at the heart of it all, we know that any hope for transformation towards you requires us to just be honest and open with ourselves. Honest and open with each other and honest and open with you. God, I pray that you would help us take off our masks so that we can experience actual transformation actual sanctification, actual movement and restoration towards the image of God. I pray this in your name, and I pray this for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Go in his grace and peace.